my son Rob is a freshman uh, in college this year, <clears throat> and since there was no room for him in uh, first year Spanish, he got assigned to Russian. Yeah, Russian. So Russian, I'm told, is like this notoriously difficult language to learn, and there are six students in his Russian class. And he sent us a picture of his Russian professor. He is a man who's taught Russian at his university for decades. And he looks like somebody, well, who's taught Russian for decades. He's a little bit scary, okay? Now, fortunately for Rob, he was um, able to find a way into his Spanish class. Uh, he was sitting at his desk on the first day of his new Spanish class when his Russian professor walked by in the hall and the classroom door was open. And the professor stopped at the doorway, looked in, saw Rob, and said, Rob, you dropped the Russian. And Rob replied, um, yes, sir. And then the professor said, Rob, why are you dropped the Russian? Now, fortunately for Rob, um, he didn't really say that. I just wanted to talk about that second question in that voice. He did ask the first question, though. And my point is that um, not all difficult things are worth doing. Uh, unless you want to read Dostoevsky in the original language or you're interested in high-level espionage, um, you know, you just don't need to take Russian. No offense. You can drop the Russian. So... Some things in life, however, are inevitable. People say, of course, that death and taxes fall into that category, but there are others too. One of our Christchurch kindergartners just started school, and his mom asked him um, how he liked kindergarten. And he said, I like it. I have a friend, but it's a big waste of time. I think I'd, Mom, I think I'd like to retire from kindergarten. His mom replied, well, I get that, but I'm afraid it's just a little too early to retire. Now, in our gospel today, we are presented with one of life's inevitabilities, and it is the question that Jesus poses uh, to his disciples. Now, here's the context. Jesus has been making a pretty big splash um, so far. Feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, Stealing of a storm? I mean, that's not your everyday occurrence. Uh, not to mention all the people that he healed right on the spot with a single touch, with a, with a commanding word. You know, the word on the street was that if you had any kind of demon or affliction or disease, you could just go to Jesus and you could get cured. Just like that. There was even a rumor that he'd raised a little girl from the dead, which in fact he did. But he'd also done some really bizarre things, uh, like he broke all the laws of the Sabbath, and he broke all the laws of ritual purity. He was not acting like you would expect him to act. He taught in the synagogues, but he didn't sound like the other religious fellows at all. Um, in fact, he seemed to always be at odds with uh, the religious fellows. Apparently, he didn't hold back when it came to parties, or feasts, or wine. People even said that he was a drunken, drunkard and a glutton. So, and for that matter, he, he hung out with all the wrong people. He hung out with the bad people, the 
kind of people that your mother told you to stay away from. But people sure didn't stay away from him, though. Just the opposite. People flocked to him. And not just to be healed, but to hear him talk, to hear him teach. He had a way of talking right to your heart, of seeing right through you in a way that made you feel both naked and yet safe at the same time. When you were near him, it was like you didn't have to pretend anymore. You could even stop pretending to yourself. The long or the short of it was that there had never been anybody like him before. Now, of course, Jesus was aware of the stir that he'd caused. So he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they threw out some wild guesses. John the Baptist, uh, who had his head chopped off by this point, so that was unlikely. <clears throat> Elijah, and he'd been transported to heaven in a whirlwind decades before, so maybe he'd come back in the form of Jesus, I don't know. People not, may not have known exactly who Jesus was, but they did know that they wanted to be near him. They wanted to be with him. Jesus is often misidentified. Uh, several years ago, there was this solitary, thin, long-haired guy, uh, might have worn sandals, who walked all over Charlottesville. Uh, and since he kind of looked like Jesus, our kids started calling him Jesus. And at dinner each night, we would play the Where uh, Was Jesus Today game. Oh, I saw Jesus by Charlottesville High School about 3 o'clock. Well, I saw Jesus on the corner in the morning. Jesus was on the downtown mall about five. Now, as far as I know, Jesus has left the city of Charlottesville. But that may be a topic for another sermon. <clears throat> but now we come to the question that Jesus poses to the disciples. <clears throat> Excuse me. The inevitable and ultimately unavoidable question for us all. But who do you say that I am? The inevitable question isn't, who do people say that I am? It is, who do you say that I am? In other words, it's of only secondary importance what your parents, what your friends, what your teachers, what your preachers say about me, Jesus is saying. It is only of secondary importance what you read in books about me or hear about me in lectures or conjure up in your own head about me. What is of the utmost importance is this. Who do you say that I am? And this is where the evangelical wing of our, our, our Anglican church rightly reminds us that Christianity is not religion. No. At its core, it's simply relationship. Relationship with Jesus Christ. But who is Jesus? Who is the one with whom we are having this relationship. <clears throat> Peter answers the question for us. He says, you are the Messiah. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, Messiah literally means the anointed one in Hebrew. He is the one that is anointed. He is the one that we've all been waiting for. Not John the Baptist, not Elijah, no. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one and only 
Savior. Now, it must be said that the answer to the inevitable question, you, Jesus, are the Messiah, necessarily narrows the field to only one Savior. That's where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Many people find this extremely offensive. Maybe you do too. I don't know. But we are not at liberty to define the terms ourselves. Jesus defines them for us. <clears throat> this means that Buddha is not your savior. Moses is not your savior. Muhammad is not your savior. But it also means that money is not your savior. Your status is not your savior. Your intellect is not your savior. Your good works are not your savior. Your good intentions are not your savior. But it also means that your religion is not your savior. Your right theology is not your savior. And yes, even grace is not your savior. And here's where we come to the best part. It also means that you are not your savior. The scripture says there is one name under heaven by which you must be saved. And here the best part continues. This savior is no taskmaster, as John Milton has misidentified him. This savior has nothing to do with taxes, or staying in the school of virtue, or even in the school of hard knocks. By his cross and resurrection, this savior is already trampled down the other inevitability, death. For this Savior is grace, Jesus Christ. Grace for you, grace for me, grace for the whole world. And who doesn't want that grace? <clears throat> who doesn't need that grace? But who do you say that I am? Jesus is more than you could ever <clears throat> have hoped for or imagined. For he is our Messiah, and he's still walking through our town.